Hello and welcome to the Binge Eating to Food Freedom podcast with Katie Papo. Our mission is to help you permanently end disordered eating, binge eating, food addiction, emotional eating, by creating a healthy and peaceful relationship with food. We are sharing simple and sustainable strategies to help you do exactly that. Please subscribe and follow and say hello. And if you haven't yet joined my email list, that's where I send out my highly detailed writings to help you implement all this even better. I invite you to join my email list now at katiepapo.com. Enjoy the episode. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Binge Eating to Food Freedom. And today we actually have a very special episode because you'll be hearing a voice other than mine. Yay. <laughs> Yay for everyone. So um, so first of all, thank you for being here. Let me know you're here in the comments and I'll introduce today's guest. So today I brought I'm bringing on uh, a past client, Nia, who I'll tell you guys that, you know, very, a lot of people want to end their binge eating and want to shift out of disordered eating. And it is really the brave few who actually show up to do that. And it's always amazing to be able to learn from people who have actually gone through this process of healing their relationship with food and going through the, the mental part of that and the emotional part of that. Hey, Lori, nice to see you. Lori's going through that right now. So um, so I'm going to bring on Nia and she's going to share some of her experience so that way you as a listener can really understand really what it takes and what parts of yourself to tap into when healing your own relationship with food. So here we go. Yay. Welcome, Nia. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So let's you know, for for pretty much most of the people don't know you. I know you um, and I know your journey, but I would love if you could just share for those of us who are getting to know you, what was your relationship with food like? So how long were you struggling? What were some of those big struggles that you were experiencing with food? So I've probably struggled with food since I was five or six, like it was literally as long as I could remember. I, I was either on a diet or I was binge eating and I didn't know what to call it then. I was just overeating and I just couldn't control myself. Um, you know, some of my earliest memories are like going to Weight Watchers with my mother and <laughs> like being on the latest diet or, you know, that, that last binge before your diet started, like those are some of my earliest memories. So it was just food. My relationship with food was just never peaceful my entire life. And as I got older, you know, I, I would go on a diet and I would lose a lot of weight and I got to a relatively healthy weight. So for the most part, people couldn't tell I was struggling with food, even though I was. But the more I dieted, the more chaotic it got and the more out of control I felt and the more I felt like a failure. And it was just the cycle that felt like it was never going to end. And I I went through some of the most extreme diets I can think of. And it was kind of right after probably my worst diet that I found Katie, um, because I had briefly tried working with someone else on just intuitive eating. And really that just turned into, I was binging all the time and felt terrible all the time. Um, and that's not how I wanted to go forward with my life, but I could not fathom the idea of going on another diet. It just, I knew it was not possible. I want to back up to something you just said. So, cause you said some of your earliest memories 
we're dieting and we're restricting, which I think a lot of people listening right now are going to be able to relate to you on that. Um, so what was the shift? Cause you, you decided, all right, I'm not dieting anymore, but then you shifted to trying intuitive eating. So what made you actually shift out of dieting in the first place? Like what I, made you stop after trying so many? You know, I had reached a point where I was on a diet where I was eating one food. No joke. I was eating one food for five months and I felt unwell mentally and physically. I knew what I was doing wasn't healthy. I would try to convince myself I was doing to try to, to try to fix some health issues that I had going on, but that really wasn't it. You know, I could point at that all I wanted, but it wasn't that simple. Um, and I just, I felt so out of control that I finally had reached the point where I felt like, well, if I can just eat this one food for the rest of my life, then I can't possibly gain weight. I can't possibly binge because that's all I eat. And it was very much a, if I just focus on this one thing, and don't let anything else in, then I'll just have to do this for the rest of my life. Like I just, I had that attitude of, I'm just going to eat this food for the rest of my life. And it wasn't healthy. Um, you know, I, my hair was thinning. I was getting bruises all over myself. Like I just, I did not feel good. Um, and I knew mentally I was just kind of all over the place. I was sad all the time and I just didn't feel good. So, um, I started researching what to do and I had tried intuitive eating many years before and felt like it failed and <laughs> went back on another diet. Um, but I was like, well, you know, I did it alone last time. So this time I'll get a coach and I got a coach and mm. I still felt like I failed. <laughs> I felt like I was just overeating constantly. And again, I didn't feel good. And there was that balance of like, how do I actually not diet, but still feel healthy? Right. Exactly. And and that's the key because, and what you're saying here is that when you did the dieting, you didn't feel good. When you did the in intuitive eating, it just was like, okay, I'm lifting the restrictions of dieting, but now it's just like all binge all the time, which I know is a lot of people's experience with that. Yeah. I mean, it felt like I had to eat everything I was forbidden to eat and only eat those things because they were all I could think of. So then instead of getting rid of the food obsession over the things I couldn't have. I was then obsessing over the things I could have. And it was just a shift in the obsession. It wasn't any relief. Yeah. And so let's talk about that obsession for a minute, because I know that some people, you know, when they talk about what's the hardest part of dealing <laughs> with disordered eating or dealing with binges or food addictions, that there's the physical element, right? Of I just, don't feel good. I don't feel like myself. I feel like crap all the time. Um, it's like this up and down, but there's also the energy of obsession that comes with that. And when the mind get con gets consumed so much with thoughts of food, that can affect so many different areas of life. And I was wondering if you could share any signs that you saw in like where other parts of your life were more diminished because of that preoccupation with food. Yeah. I mean, it, it really permeated every aspect of my life. Like when I was food obsessed, I, I would get interrupted in my thoughts when I was working, I would get interrupted when I was like doing something with my kids. Like I couldn't sit through a movie. I, I don't think I watched a movie in several years because I would be in the room when we'd have a movie on and I'd be on my phone researching the latest diet or looking at recipes. Like there was just this constant, like searching for the next solution and figuring out the next plan. Um, and I just like, I spent my whole day planning my food and then wouldn't eat what I planned, but I'd spend my whole day planning it and all this mental energy. It was exhausting. And I don't feel like I was present for my actual life because of it. 
Yeah, I know I can relate to that. The planning and guys, let me know in the comments if if you can relate to this, that where you spend so much energy planning and then we don't even follow through with the plan. And mm -hmm. it's like all of this time and all of this energy, it really does affect everything. Um, so what, well, actually, I don't know if I've ever even asked you this, but was there some kind of aha moment or some insight? Because I don't know why you actually decided to work with me. I know that you reached out and then we started right away. But what was, what, did you have any shift that, because you had already just worked with a coach who was teaching intuitive eating and that didn't work. So I'm wondering what, what made you go for this? So honestly, I reached a point, or like I said, I was working with the coach. I didn't feel like I was doing well. I felt like I was felt bad all the time. I started contemplating going on another diet. And I just had this light bulb go off in my head. And it was like, if I go on another diet, I might actually die. Because how could I get more extreme than what I'd already done? You know, I, I just felt like I'd hit this rock bottom point where if I tried another diet, it could literally endanger my life. I just felt like I was that out of control when I was on my last diet. And I just knew I couldn't do it again. You know, I looked around at my life and I realized all the things I had to be present for mentally and physically. And I just could not do it again. It wasn't worth it anymore. Um, and I actually had found your work a while before. And had been kind of like, oh, no, I, I don't know. You know, I was kicking around the idea, but I couldn't really commit because I felt like it, it, it was a big investment. And I didn't feel like it was worth it in my head because, frankly, I didn't feel like I was worth it. Um, it just felt like too big of a commitment for something that I was probably going to fail at again anyway. Because that was the outlook I was taking at that point. You know, everything I'd done, I'd failed. So why would this time be any different? which is funny when you think about it, because it's so the opposite of the rest of my life. I don't approach anything else in my life that way, but I approach food in that way and I approach dieting that way. So what was the thing where, like, was there a shift that you decided you were worth it? Or was there a shift that maybe this would work? What made you decide if you were kicking around the idea for a while, but not making the, the leap? What made you make the leap? It was when I was contemplating my next diet. And I realized that it literally could be life-threatening, but I, I looked around at my family and my kids and I looked at my husband and I had a really, really honest conversation with my husband. And he actually admitted to me somehow I'd never realized by the way, that my husband had an eating disorder. I've been married to him for 13 years. He's had an eating disorder, a various degrees since we met. And I did not figure that out until we had a super honest conversation about it. But finally realizing that I wasn't alone in this and that I wasn't insane um, and that I, I could actually try something else and it wouldn't mean that I had to fail. I think that really kind of tipped me over the edge. You know, it, a lot of it was really realizing I wasn't alone, I think, because I feel like I had talked with other people who had disordered eating in the past, but I never felt like they got it to the degree that my husband does. Um, I don't feel like they, I related to them on as deep of a level, but someone who I have such like a close relationship with, and then to have these big, deep conversations and realize, oh, my thoughts are not unique to me. It's not that I'm uniquely broken. Um, that made me realize that, oh, maybe there's hope for me. <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's true for a lot of people. And I, I know that to be true, actually, because I have these conversations where some people say, like, I really want to do this. I really want to make this leap, but I'm too afraid I'm going to fail. And then there are the, 
the people like you who actually do make the leap. Um, but there are definitely many, many people still who um, that fear of failure can be so strong, even if it's not present in any other area of our lives. Yeah. Because we've had that experience so many times, it can be challenging to believe that this actually might be different. Yeah, Lori just said, I had that fear too, and Lori made the leap. Um, so I wanted to go back to like when you first started, Nia, because I know a lot of times in you know, stories where we talk a little bit kind of about the before and after. A lot of times we just skip the whole middle. And I want people to really understand like what this can look like in terms of the progress that you experience in the beginning rather than just jumping right to the after. So um, can you share some of those like earlier wins that you remember um, or maybe even some of the earlier challenges that you had that you overcame? Yeah, so I would say early on, um, probably the, the fastest thing that I noticed, the quickest thing was that I wasn't ending every meal feeling bad again. You know, I, I would finish my meal and I would be, it wouldn't necessarily be perfect, but I wouldn't be stuffed. And I wouldn't feel sick because I ate too much of one thing that made me feel bad. Like I just started feeling better. Um, and noticing those small wins honestly kept me going because after the honeymoon period of the first two or three days, like you need something to keep you going. If you weren't having success, it would be hard to keep going, I think. But um, as time went on, like I continued, initially I felt like I was still eating kind of all the foods that made me feel bad, but I wasn't eating those exclusively at least. And that helped me not feel as bad <laughs> because I wasn't eating, you know, 10 cookies for lunch. You know, that wasn't my lunch anymore. I had enough balance that I was starting to feel a little better. And as time went on, I noticed that I was able more and more to think about the pros and cons of whatever I was going to eat and how much of it I was going to eat. And it didn't have to be, I didn't eat the cookie, but it would might mean I would eat one cookie and a sandwich <laughs> or one cookie and some soup or a salad or whatever sounded good that day and not have to eat the thing that made me feel sick by eating too much of it. Um, so those were kind of the early things that I noticed. The other thing that I swear it took me like a month to realize that I hadn't binged in a month. <laughs> I just wasn't even like tallying that in my head at the beginning. It was just very much a day by day, like, okay, like this meal went okay. That meal, I need to tweak this. I was so focused in the day-to-day the -day process that I realized, oh, like I can't remember the last time I binged. I had to like go back and count at one point. Um, and that was just like this holy cow. Like I don't remember this ever happening because I feel like for the last five or six years on every diet, I was binging probably once a week, um, sometimes twice a week. <laughs> when things really spiraled, it was daily, you know? So going like that long and not even recognizing it, not checking it off on my mental calendar and just kind of living my life was in and of itself a victory. Yeah, I, I wanna kind of dive into that for a second because I know that, it can be, uh, and it kind of relates to the diet mentality, but I'll see people, you know, saying, oh, I'm, I'm going to go 30 days without binges, or I've made it seven days without binges. And not that there's something wrong with this, but it's still perpetuating the mental obsession around binges, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're still obsessed with not binging as much as we're obsessed with binging, our brain is still going there. And what's unique about this, like you said, is that you didn't realize that you weren't binging because you were just focused on 
healing your relationship with food and one bite at a time, right? One meal at a time. And, um, and when you look back, it's like, you don't need to count anymore because it's not like you have to keep obsessing about it to stop doing it. Ironically, that only fuels the obsession. So, um, I'm glad that you brought that up. And, and, um, so what were some of the ways in the beginning that you knew you were making progress, whether it was something physical that you felt like, or like you said, you weren't binging, but were there any um, mental shifts or emotional shifts that came along with that? Like, how did you gauge your progress? Yeah. So I would say my first big aha moment of like, something is different here was when I sat down for one of the food experiments and had a food that I have never felt safe around in front of me. And I ate it and I left a little on my plate and I walked away. But the the real victory wasn't that I left some on my plate because I'd managed that before in the middle of dieting of, oh, I'll have X amount of bites. No, the real victory was that I had more of that food in my house and I was okay. I walked away. I didn't obsess about it. Like I knew it was there. I knew I could have it if I wanted it, but it wasn't all I could think about. And before really the food here is cake. Um, I, I literally could not have cake in my house without thinking about it. And I would do that thing where I'd like walk by and take a little piece or I'd plan like, Oh, you know, I'm going to skip this meal. So I can have a really big cake piece of cake and stuff for dinner. And like my whole day was fixated on that food until it was out of my house. And we never got a small amount because we always knew we were going to overeat it. We planned for this. Um, so there was always a lot in your house. So that's like a week out of your life that you've now spent obsessing over this one food. But suddenly it's in my house and I'm safe. I think there's some in my fridge right now and I'm safe actually. <laughs> my son's birthday was a few days ago. I think there's still some out there. <laughs> wow. That's so, amazing. Yeah, that was, that was actually, yeah, go ahead. Is, yeah, that was just the point where I was like, oh, something is different. And I can actually approach this differently and not feel like it's every other diet. That's what I wanted to ask was um, when you brought up the cake, I wanted to say like, how has that progressed since like with, with trigger foods or things like that, where you previously felt unsafe around them or let you had to fear them or that, you know, I know a lot of people will say, I can't be trusted or I can't have these foods in the house. Yeah. Um, have you found that this has shifted over time in terms of how easy it's been for you or how, how much I would say like less obsessed you are around it Has this continued yeah. to shift? Yeah, I would definitely say, that there was a shift because over time, like initially it was like, Oh, I would think about it every once in a while. And, but I knew it was there and I was okay with it. Like it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big thing occupying my thoughts. As time went on, I started to realize that there's bad cake, by the way. I don't think I knew that for 30 years. Um, all cake, even bad cake was good cake <laughs> because it was cake. Um, <laughs> so then it became like, I could actually turn something down because I realized it wasn't good. And I don't think I was able to do that forever. It was just, well, I have to have it. It's there. It was, it was an option. Therefore I had to have it because it wasn't going to be an option later. Um, so being able to realize that there's good and bad and I, I can decide I want it or I can decide I don't was the next shift. And then from there on, it was realizing that like, I don't have to have this stuff around for a while. I felt like I had to have it around to feel safe. Um, if it wasn't accessible, then I obsessed about it because it wasn't accessible. That, that was a pattern for a little while. And now I, I cannot have it in the house. I can have it in the house and I don't really care. I forget it's there until my kids ask me for some, <laughs> you know, it's just, 
it's just food. Mm, that's amazing. <clears throat> yeah, Lori just commented. Lori's in our program right now. She goes, I had a forbidden food too, Pop-Tart, and I realized I don't even like them anymore. And I think <laughs> it's still in the fridge. <laughs> I did that with Oreos at one point. I was like, these are terrible. <laughs> I did that with <laughs> Oreos as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I to realize that they're really bad. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to eat boxes of Oreos and I can't remember the last time I had an Oreo, but um, it's amazing how that happens. And did you ever think that this would, that you would be like saying this, <laughs> you know? No, I didn't. I mean, my husband and I literally planned holidays around food, especially around cake for birthdays. But we literally planned, like we would plan up what we were going to eat for weeks in advance. Um, I would know exactly what I was going to eat. I knew I was going to eat too much of it. Like that's just how it was going to be. Sometimes I would try to limit the amount I brought in the house. So I wouldn't eat too much. Most of the time I would buy way more than I need knowing I was going to eat too much. And I wanted to have it there. Like it was this buildup and then sense of relief of like, I'm basically going to binge for this week and I would plan it. So to completely like eliminate that part of my life, which was such a negative part of my life. You know, there aren't many parts of your life that you want to eliminate, but that was definitely one of them. And it's just been such a humongous mind shift. And I have so much more mental energy for other things now. Hmm. So what were the, let's talk about that mental energy because a lot of people have this fear in a way, which, um, you know, is a fear that comes up when we, start to accept the possibility that ending an eating disorder is possible or that healing your relationship with food is possible. Because while we, when we don't believe it's possible, we're still obsessed with, with all of the drama around food. But once we understand that, hey, maybe this actually could leave my life and I could be free of this, then some new fears come up like, well, who will I be without this? And what will I fill my time with? And what will I think about? So how did you navigate that for yourself so far? Yeah, so that that definitely happened. And I think if you told me that going in, I don't think I would have expected that because it was it was such a burden that you feel like once it's gone, you'll be so relieved it won't matter and you'll never think about it in that way. But really, you do lose something that's occupied a lot of your energy for a long time. And I'm incredibly type A. So once I realized that that part of my life was leaving, there was a little bit of like, holy cow, what do I do now? Like, what can I put that area of my mind onto? Because you don't really lose parts of yourself. You just shift how you put, like where you put that energy. Um, so there was definitely a period of what do I do with myself now? <laughs> you know, I think that I was someone who was I was in school for a very, very long time because I went to graduate school and everything. And uh, I think that when I stopped that part of my academic life, a lot of that energy actually shifted to food and I didn't realize it. Um, so I definitely had to think of ways to put my energy into my life differently. Um, and Katie and I were talking just before the show started about one of them. I decided to start martial arts and it's something I wanted to do when I was a kid and I never had the time or the opportunity. And finally I took the plunge and did it. Um, and there were, there were other areas of my life, too, that I realized that I could definitely put more mental energy. Frankly, my kids, I feel terrible to say that, but I didn't realize how much time my food obsession was stealing from my time with them. Because even though I was there, I wasn't there. You know, I, I was there. I was going through the motions. I would also be planning what I was going to eat later or whatever the next diet was or what recipe I needed to find. Um, so 
really focusing on being in the present dramatically shifted that whole process for me because suddenly I had somewhere to put all that energy. Um, and it, that those areas were in front of me the whole time. And I just didn't realize it. I didn't realize I wasn't there for that. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And, um, you know, some people will, will write in and they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm worried because I feel like I'm missing my kids, like growing up. Like I'm, like you said, I'm there, but I'm not there fully. I know I can be there more fully. So I always think it's, it's a big thing when we can, you know, admit hard things to ourselves like that. Yeah. And then suddenly I'm not worried about like how I look in my clothes when I go to an event with them or anything, or like, do I look bloated or do I feel bad because I ate too much yesterday? Suddenly that's not on my mind. I'm just there and I'm just living life. And it's pretty freaking amazing. (laughs) It's amazing. So along this journey, you know, for everyone, I think we all have, these wins and these proofs of progress and these challenges that come up. And um, I was curious for you, were there any, let's say like lessons you learned or things that happened that helped you learn um, or take away certain insights that were especially important to you? Like understanding that this is you know, not something that, oh, we can just flip a switch and it's changing. Like you're showing up every day and you did show up every day and you're continuing, you know, this, this healing journey. So what is it for you or any kind of lessons or, or insights or things that you remember that you come back to, to keep yourself going? Cause I know a lot of people worry about like, oh, well, what if I, you know, get this freedom and then I ruin it all and then it all is gone. And, and so how are you navigating that now? So I think it really comes back to some of the things that Katie talks about a lot, which are any amount and um, a, a progress oriented or uh, a growth mindset. Sorry, I was <laughs> losing the word there. So those two things really have been pretty monumental for me because that's completely the opposite way of how I've thought for my entire life. Um, I've always been very all or nothing. I have always been very much like if I don't do it perfectly, it doesn't count. Um, So being able to realize the beauty and the difference that you get from small amounts of things is critical Um, and shifting your mindset and not expecting perfection every time is pretty critical. I, um, I think I had enough success in my early couple of days that I was willing to keep trying, even though I'm not entirely sure how much my brain was buying the growth mindset at the beginning. Um, <laughs> I don't know if the buy-in was completely there for a little while, but I think that I hit bottom enough before I started that I was willing to try. And that was really where the opportunity happened was being willing to try. Um, the other thing that I come back to frequently that Katie said to me one time was slow down to speed up because I'm incredibly busy. I work the equivalent of two full-time jobs. I have three children. I have four dogs and a cat. Like my life is complete chaos. I don't have time for anything, but I also realized that when I don't make time for some things that really help me, then I completely like, have no time for anything at that point. I've become so frazzled. I become so inefficient. I become so food obsessed that I can't do the other things that I need to do. So slowing down to speed up, slowing down to take those few minutes for myself has been just 
a dramatic shift because it shifts the rest of my day. You know, five minutes that I take for myself at the beginning of the day can buy me an hour throughout my day. It really can. Fabulous advice. I'm actually, there's one person uh, I'm working with now who this is her current lesson. <laughs> and it's always, you know, I have all this work. I'm so busy. I have a million kids I have. And it's always the same, but I always, it's the same thing. And I find for myself too, that the, the busier you are, the more, the more important it is to be doing these things for yourself. 100%. Is there anything else that you'd want to share um, in terms of something that you might, um, just a message for someone who might be struggling or going through the earlier stages of this process right now, or wondering I, if this is impossible for them. You know, I would say focus on the any amount. That was big for me at the beginning, because when everything feels hard and you feel like you failed everything, what's the smallest thing you can do in this moment to feel like you're really taking a step towards your freedom? Uh, and for me, sometimes that was like, I took up journaling along this process. And sometimes when I'm having a rough day, it might be two words on the piece of paper, but that's my any amount for that day. You know, sometimes it might be those two breaths I take before I'd make a decision. Really focus on that any amount because those little tiny bits throughout your day add up and can dramatically shift things for you. Even when you feel like everything's falling apart and you're failing completely. because you're not. <laughs> If you show up for yourself for that moment, for that one breath, you're not failing. Absolutely. Yep. Lori just said same, any amount. <laughs> so important for me too. So thank you, Nia. Um, is there anything that you feel, um, cause I always like to focus on the energy of gratitude. Is there anything that you feel especially grateful for having really gone through this process in terms of healing your relationship with food and committing to yourself in that way? I'm most grateful that I took that plunge. Like I said, I, I thought about it for a while. I pondered it for a few weeks. Like I kind of went back and forth on it. And finally I just took that plunge. Don't wait until you're desperate to take the plunge. Really don't. Um, I mean, it worked out well for me, but you don't have to hit complete rock bottom to feel better. Mm. Thank you. And thank you for showing up Nia. And thank you for sharing your story. Um, I know that there are so many people who uh, are listening and might feel hopeless or like there's no way out for them. And for you to stand up here and say, I'm doing this and I've done this and it's possible. And I've been dealing with this since I was five or six years old. And my earliest memory is Weight Watchers. Like, you know, it doesn't get much more than that. So I'm, I'm very grateful for you to share your story. And I appreciate you being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm always glad to help other people who struggle. No one needs to struggle like this. They really don't. Thank you. Yes, it's very true. And so for you guys, whoever's listening, if you feel like, you know, this is calling to you and that it's your time to shift and to come out of this disordered eating once and for all, feel free to reach out um, and we can see if we can help you and take you through this process as well. So thank you for being here and talk to you soon. Well done showing up for yourself and tuning into another episode. The best way to help yourself change is repetition. So take a moment now to write down your biggest takeaway from this episode in the comments. Also, please subscribe and follow for more. And if you haven't yet, join my email list. That's where I share my highly detailed writings on how to make your food freedom journey even faster and simpler go to katiepapo.com to join my email list now. And finally, 
If you're considering working with us privately, details for our 12-week intensive program can be found at katiepapo.com. Feel free to reach out to us directly with your questions. Keep showing up for yourself, be kind to yourself and others, and I hope to see you for the next episode.